This episode is sponsored by Koyeb.com. Link in the description. Koyeb is a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. Stick around till the end to hear more. It's back to school time. This is Cup of Go for September 1st, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in just 15 minutes per week or a little bit longer sometimes. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Hall. Like today. Like today. <laughs> and I'm Shai Nechman. We're back from holiday. It's good to see you, Shai. It's good to talk to y'all uh, and specifically you, Jonathan. Um, oh, shucks. Yeah. It's been a, a long month. I've enjoyed my time off with my kid and I hope everybody used the last uh, gasps of summer. Go to the beach oh, yeah. or, or do some fun stuff. Apparently for some people, the fun stuff for vacation means working on Go. Because we have so much news to talk about. We do. And it's not just quick news items. They're like like multiple page blog posts and many of them. So thanks Go team for keeping, keeping busy. Yeah, while well, I was at the beach basically daily. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I saw Bill Kennedy commenting on the, on the summer vibes. Oh yeah? What did yeah, he, he wrote on Twitter. Like He thought that the X... Ugh. The Twitter <laughs> algorithm changed because uh, he has a really fresh t- timeline with a ton of stuff, sharing cool stuff about Golang. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it might just be all the parents that took vacation and you know their kids are asleep right now and they don't want to open work Slack. So they're working on open source Go stuff. Yeah. <laughs> on that topic, this is a good time to shout out that we, the channel, the podcast is also on uh, Mastodon. So if you're a Fediverse user, you can follow us there too. And honestly, I get a lot more engagement there than I do on Twitter with half as many followers. So it's uh, their algorithm is definitely different and better for me, at least, whatever that means. Yeah, I'll switch at some point. I haven't switched. So I, I have both. Done. That's Just even to worse. Clear, to be clear. <laughs> I want less apps, with less things. All right. How about we talk about Go? Let's talk about Go. All right. We have a pre-announcement for minor releases. This is like the urgent news part of the program. Go 1.21.1 and, you know, 1.20.8 are going to be released on Wednesday, September 6th. And they cover three CVEs. So I guess we'll know next week exactly what's going to be fixed and how the library will be more secure. Just remember on Wednesday to upgrade if you're on... uh, if you're using uh, 120 or 121. And if you're using 119 or older, it's a good time to update to 120 at least, if, if at all possible. Yeah, the security promises for Go go for this release, like the current release, and the one previous. Mm-hmm. If you're two, three, four versions behind, there's no security promise for you. And also, the tooling has gotten so much better, it's worth the switch. It's definitely worth it, especially from a cost perspective with PGO in the new versions. Like there's a lot of good reasons where like there's a really good case for you to upgrade, even though the 121 upgrade was kind of rough around the edges for some people because of the init issue. Yes. Did you manage to fix that? Uh... I did, but I don't know how. Uh, so I had, a, <laughs> I had a seg fault happening. Uh, I just went in and started cleaning up a bunch of init and eventually it started working again. So I don't know exactly what caused the fault, the, the failure. That's actually hilarious. Yeah, All right. <laughs> it wasn't my ideal. I was hoping to narrow it down and figure out what the problem was. But while you have your calendars open, you know, marking uh, Wednesday to upgrade, what else should they mark on the on their calendars? I think you should mark uh, September twenty sixth to twenty nine, especially if you're in the San Diego area, because that's when the big GopherCon will be happening. We have a bunch of friends at the show going to be there too. So shout out to everybody there representing Cup of Go when in our absence for us. Yeah, we'll look uh, for stickers and like the or or cups. Yeah, awesome. 
on the topic of conferences, uh, EU GoFreeCon was a while ago, and uh, the videos are now live. So if you missed it, like me, I did, couldn't go. And now you can make up the talks and in half the time because you can watch them on X2, which is a great feature that I'm really, it sucks it does exist in real life. Yeah, There's a ton of great talks in the link. Uh, we want to shout out specifically Go Sync or Go Home about like advanced concurrency techniques. It's a great talk by Yardene Leifenfeld, which was here on the show a while ago. Shout out Yardene, your talk is awesome. I watched it. It's really good. All right. So we talked releases, we talked conferences. Now let's talk about the language. And we have a ton to talk about. And the first thing we're going to say, yes, there is the HashiCorp business license, open source, source available. I don't know even how to call it. Scandal? (laughs) Um, Issue. uh, Issue. Elephant. There's the BSL elephant in the room right now. I've spoken to two different people who work at HashiCorp, and they are completely tight-lipped, as expected. We know that they're not allowed to talk about it. Only a few select people in PR are allowed to talk about that uh, from the corporate perspective. But In case... We're going to say two things. In case you haven't heard about it, HashiCorp are no longer open source. They're source available, which means a ton of like infrastructure that's also written in Go and a ton of companies and a ton of people, a ton of companies are suddenly worried. Yeah. And the second thing we're going to say is that we're going to talk about it soon. We have too much to cover in today's episode uh, and we want to talk to more people, maybe from HashiCorp, maybe from OpenTF and try to understand. We want to give you a more nuanced take about it. So we're going to talk about it in the future, not today. Let's talk about Go, finally. Finally. <laughs> so obviously, talking about Go, we're going to talk about HTTP servers, right? That's the only thing the language goes for. That's all it does, HTTP. So we have several things to talk about here. Uh, probably the, the first one, which kind of kicks off the whole topic, is something we talked about a few episodes ago, uh, which is what, three years ago now, I think? <laughs> Feels like it. <laughs> it was a proposal to add... Uh, enhanced routing to the standard library serve mux. Uh, basically, you could put a verb in front of your path and it would do magical things for you. I won't go into all the de- details because we just talked about it before, but it has been accepted. Uh, so Woo-hoo! the standard library's router will be much more powerful, sort of obviating the need for that capability in many of the other third-party uh, routers. So that, that's nice. Which leads right into a discussion that I've had. Actually, it's on Reddit, but I had the exact same discussion with other people on Slack uh, last week as well, the sort of standard question, which framework should I use to build uh, my web app? Or is the standard library really enough? You know, this is kind of a controversial thing. You know, the, the sort of knee-jerk reaction to what's the best framework is none. Is that really good advice? Uh, it's advice I've given before, but is it really good advice? Uh, so there's a nice Reddit discussion about that. Um, if you've ever been sort of, you know, slapped with that answer as well, and you don't like it, two things. One, you're not alone. There's a lot of support <laughs> yeah. for you. And two, that answer is becoming less of a bad answer uh, very soon with this new accepted proposal. Yeah, one uh, person on the channel about a month ago, uh, Jamie, shout out Jamie Tana, he mentioned uh, Gorilla versus this new Servmux in the STD, where, you know, if this proposal goes through, um, there was a question of, like, is Gorilla going to be on the rise again because it was recently unarchived? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to slowly die down because of the STD lib? And, you know, I think that there's some sort of, I don't even know if it's a misconception, just a, like an idea that if something is in the, in the STD lib, it's good and it's strong and it doesn't need like financial support because it got there. You can trust it. I know I definitely feel a lot more comfortable, you know, using standard library things than third party where I have to start worrying about, wait, do, should I like set up a Patreon with the maintainers to make sure that this critical infrastructure for me is, is, 
going to work. And putting it in the stdlib is a really, really good move. And I really want to see all the tutorials get rewritten, you know, with edit at the top. Oh, now you can just import it from the standard library. You don't need all these third-party packages. And also the third-party packages replacing their internals. Like if you want to stay with Gorilla's API or, you know, use things that work with it, like API generators and stuff like that, just their internals being replaced with calls to the standard library. It's going to be a lot better, a lot more efficient. Really happy to see it happening. Obviously, as usual, the discussion in Reddit is a lot more inflammatory that uh, we had to take it down 10 notches. But uh, yeah, go to the standard library is becoming more and more uh, solid uh, advice. I think there's still uh, room for improvement. Uh, and I mentioned this in the previous episode, you know, especially with error handling for HTTP uh, handlers. But I think there's room to improve the center library further. And there are other pieces that are missing from a traditional framework, such as binding to your HTML template rendering, all this stuff. Uh, but this is a really big and important step towards that ideal of just use the center library. And if we're already talking about just using the standard library, there's a great discussion going on. Like that segue, mm-hmm. I, I ordered the news items correctly. Yeah. Anyway, there's a discussion in the <laughs> going on on GitHub about putting metrics in the standard library. There is already a runtime slash metrics, uh, which gives you access to just detailed information about Go runtime, stuff like memory and, and stuff like that, which is useful. It is Definitely. like useful for application developers now and then, right? You want to monitor how fast your memory is growing and then decide on how many threads to put in the thread pool accordingly and not just have Kubernetes manage it for you with uh, killing and raising pods. You want to do it slightly more elegantly or whatever. These things have been proven to be uh, useful. And someone asked JBA, Jonathan Amsterdam, Jonathan Amsterdam. That's not, not going to be confusing no to anyone. To no. <laughs> <laughs> no relation to me, Jonathan in Amsterdam. Exactly. <laughs> coming to you from Amsterdam. So... He just raised a really nice question. Runtime metrics exposes a lot of detailed information about Go runtime. What other packages in the stdlib need their own metrics? And like it would be useful to know about their internal state. And the first obvious answer is net HTTP, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, everything you do once you set up a production server is set up Prometheus next to it with all the metrics and connect it and write all the counters and whatever. Why shouldn't it be in the stdlib? This is a pretty new discussion, so we encourage you to go visit it. The last comment there, I think, is really, really good. It's someone from the Prometheus team, right? Uh, So I'm going to sort of murder their name. Bretlomiej Plotka. I hope I said that right. He's super, he wants to help and he wants to add it to the the standard library. Makes sense from the, you know, the Prometheus team to be totally on top of it. It's currently just a discussion. Uh, not even a proposal. So it's a really good time to, you know, put in your two cents or if you think it's relevant for any other STDlib. Yeah, if, if you've ever thought or if you've ever had to implement your own uh, metrics for some part of the center library, this would be a great place to go mention that. Uh, and I have a question for you. Yeah. What library least needs metrics? Like what library would you never need to know what's going on internally at all? I'm like thinking maybe uh, text marshalling. But number of bytes and how fast, like it's really hard to think about someplace where metrics wouldn't be useful. Yeah. Oh, crypto. That would be bad because you could do side channel attacks. Maybe. <laughs> Although still, I could see them being useful. Just for the evil people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's a discussion on metrics in the STDlib that's coming right on the tail of, uh, you know, standard servers, stronger routers for servers in the standard library. And the standard library is just getting better and better and better. That's great. Go contribute. But I'm ching. I love those go puns. That one wasn't even intentional. Yeah, I, I was just, <laughs> I, I wasn't even going for it. 
All right, there's one more proposal we wanted to discuss about IOFS. Yeah, so this one we mentioned um, a few months ago, I think. Um, there's been this long-standing proposal to extend the fs.fs interface, which was added in Go 1.16. So I think this proposal is almost as old as that is. Uh, the idea was to make it a to, to extend it with writability. And we talked about it a few months ago when Russ Cox sort of did a shout out to the community. Hey, we're looking for more use cases for this to try to come to a standard that we can agree on. Unfortunately, I guess, uh, depending on your view, this has been declined for now. It's not necessarily permanently declined, but the conclusion is that there's just too many edge cases to come up with a useful abstraction that won't hurt somebody. Um, So it's better right now to implement your own that's application specific if you need this sort of thing. Uh, but there's uh, potential to reopen this issue in a year or two after we've had some more experience, particularly with the new extension of generic support and the way we're doing some of these things. Maybe we'll come up with a more useful general purpose abstraction that would make sense to put in the center library. I love that result. I think it's very fortunate. You know, yeah. this is a very, oh, I actually need it for this and that and that scenario if the community will converge on like one huge open source interface that we can all agree on in practice in reality like it serves 80 percent of uh, the people it's not good enough for the sand library but it is good enough for these people and that's just a really good state of being for everyone like not everything has to go into um, standardized interfaces especially if the standard isn't very useful, but will just hamper you or, you know, actually building a foot gun, right? So I think it might be worth mentioning why this is uh, just a really simple example of why this is so complicated, because it sounds pretty obvious. Why not just add a write interface or write file uh, method to your interface, right? It sounds really simple. But then when you start to consider things like, what happens if the file already exists? Uh, Should you clobber it? Should you return an error? What what should you do? And then you can say, well, pass a a mode flag, which is what the file system does, right? But not every implementation supports a mode and not every implementation supports the same types of modes. So, you know, what if you're writing to an S3 bucket or to your actual file system or you're sending an HTTP request? You know, there, there's a thousand different ways that this interface could be implemented and you can't really abstract that that simple concept of what do I do if the file's already there? There's just not a simple way to do that. So let me give you an example. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned uh, Liri Sokol's uh, GopherCon talk uh, on the way she implemented the virtual file system over Git. Oh, so yeah. she could like... so clobbering a file there literally translate to a git commit mm-hmm. uh, under mm-hmm. the hood. Yeah. It's going to be hard to define an interface that communicates that well and also works just for my normal hard drive. Yeah. So that's a really simple example. There are much more complicated examples of why it's difficult related to file permissions and different types of file systems and all sorts of stuff. But just to give you a glimpse as to why it's complicated, I think that's enough of an example for uh, for the show. When, when did you last call, uh, like directly call, write out a call for the Win32 API? Never. Like I, I write. Don't, I don't do never? Windows programming. So you're missing out. <laughs> uh, first of all, they all end with like A or W. Right, so you have for write like a file a. Okay. No, for uh-huh. uh, ANSI versus Unicode. Oh, or obviously ANSI versus wide. So A and oh, W, and then you have I don't know, like thirty-two parameters. Or so. I'm I'm exaggerating, but write file, for example, has five parameters, which is already kind of difficult. Yeah. Three in parameters, one out parameter, and one in out optional parameter, and that's how it actually works in a, when you have to define the, the you know the low level interface. So the last time I wrote code in Windows was in Windows 3.1. I was writing some C code that was only for DOS anyway. 
Unless you count the WSL work I did, I wrote some uh, Fallout 4 scripting stuff in Linux in Windows, but I don't think that counts. I don't think that counts as well. And that's obviously the easy uh, write file function, not the write file X function. <laughs> Writing is hard. <laughs> exactly. Files are difficult. And uh, Windows sucks. The, these are just uh, facts. <laughs> Sorry for any Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft, if, Satya, if you're listening and you want to sponsor us, this was just a joke, right? <laughs> All right, so we talked about a ton of stuff already. Uh, we really tried to keep uh, the show short enough so you can, you know, you're probably already parking your car slash uh, tying up your bike or, you know, you just finished the dishes. So we're going to cut off here. We have a ton more to talk about. Like we said, the HashiCorp thing, uh, forward and backward compatibility, tool dependencies, PGO updates, uh, something I'm super excited about, uh, reproducible builds. We're going to talk about it. Soon. I don't even want to commit to next week because the community is just abuzz with activity. We have really fun updates for the ad break. And after that, we're going to go into a deep dive into S-Log. So we are going to continue with news. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the new S-Log package. What do you need to know? What are some ancillary packages you should learn about? And how John has been using it to refactor some old code? Good. So stick around. See you soon. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Koyab.com, our beautiful returning partners. Shout out to Jan and Alice there specifically. We love y'all. Uh, what is Koyab, you might be asking? Jonathan, do you have code? Mm, yeah, sometimes. You write it on your machine, and Usually. that's the construct. But what about the artifact? Where do you put the artifact? Where do you put the binary? Where do you put the containers? Uh, I usually just upload it to the dark web and let everybody deploy it however they want to. Yeah, I usually mark it as miners, as like crypto miners, and then eventually it will run on my one of my clients' PCs. Exactly. But now there's a better way. Koyab is a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. No ops, and I'm running two servers there, and I'm not an ops person. It's literally no ops, no servers, no infrastructure management. You can do web apps, you can do APIs, that's what I'm doing. I have, I'm hosting two backends there. You can do event-driven serverless stuff if you have like ETLs you're trying to run, background workers, which we're going to dive into a bit more, and even cron jobs. I've been a happily paying user. I haven't been paying a lot because they're pretty cheap. Like, don't raise my rates, guys, but you're giving me great value. Do they have a free tier I can use if I just want to try it out? Yeah, five bucks a month and, and you can host like two nano servers there. That's great for POCing stuff. And it's honestly so easy to just, you know, grab your GitHub repository or your container and set it up. They've been working super hard during the, you know, the summer. It feels like they didn't take a vacation because they released a ton of new stuff. One thing, and we're going to put this link in the, in the description so you can go check it out is, you know, high performance background jobs with uh, Koyab workers. So they've been working on it for a while, but now it's generally available. And you can do some pretty like beefy workloads. I'm running, you know, tiny servers that are mostly for educational purposes, but they provide up to 64 virtual CPUs and 64 gigabytes of RAM per worker with like high end CPUs. So especially if you're writing Go, you know, if you're doing Python work, maybe you need all these resources. But if you're doing Go, you're probably good. Um, it's even coming to a place near you. They have uh, four new locations in early access. So if you're in Tokyo or in Paris, uh, you know, look for server farms. Uh, maybe Koyab is, uh, is one rack there. So it's super easy. Uh, go read the blog post if you want to start playing around with it. And, uh, you know, tell them uh, we sent you. They might give you a good deal. 
Thanks again, Koyeb, for returning. We're really happy to have you as a partner. And of course, the easiest way to tell them that we sent you is to click the link in the show description. So Yeah, because it has a thing, you know, the UTM like, source. Yeah. It says, coming from Jonathan from the dark web. Exactly, exactly. Cool. So we've been also working hard during the summer vacation to come up with cool new merch for y'all. Yeah. And by working hard, I mean, I literally took five minutes uh, and listened to one of our beautiful listeners, Jay Morelli. Thanks, Jay, for contributing, who asked for a different cup. So now we have a new version of the coffee mug, uh, which is a bit more minimalist, doesn't have text, and the gopher itself doesn't have text on, and the like tiny ghost on the cup. It's all more nuanced. I actually think it looks better, and I'm, I'm sort of sad that, you know, Jay has that and I have the old one. If you want it, you can go to store.cupago.dev and grab one for yourself and your uh, partner. So go buy some merch and support the show. We wanted to share some analytics with you as well. We know people love that, the, yeah. the numbers game. What's going on? So we had a record-breaking episode last episode. Now, I think part of that's because we've had a break, so any new listeners are just jumping straight to that one. But just the same, we hit a record. We had well over a 1,000 downloads of the last episode, which narrowly beats out the second place runner, which was uh, back in June. We had one with about 30 fewer downloads. But that's great. Uh, it's good to have new people listening. Um, if you're listening new, uh, give us a shout out. Come join us on the Cup of Go Slack channel on the Gopher Slack. We'd love to hear from you there. How did you hear about the show? What do you enjoy? What could we do to improve the show? We'd love to hear all of that from you. Yeah, hate mail. Specifically, we're looking for hate mail. Uh, we need someone to bring us down a little bit, you know. And if you're not a Slack aficionado, you can also email us at news at cupago.dev. That is news at cupago.dev. And if you don't have anything interesting to say to us, but you do want to support the show, leaving a review on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you check your podcasts, wherever you pod your casts, that's a good uh, way to support the show. Uh, And, you know, maybe share it. Send a link to a friend, coworker, or co-student. And tweet and toot about us on Twitter and Mastodon. If you follow us there, we we send out automatic notifications for every new episode. Just hit the retweet or the retoot. I can't remember what it's called on Mastodon. It's not retweet. It's re-X now. It's like repost. Yeah, I'm never going to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Elon. Maybe if you sponsor us, we're going to accept the X rebrand. All right. So that's it for the ad break. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again for our beautiful partners at Koya for sponsoring the show. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, and all the nice stuff we said about them is, is true. Like is we true. vetted it. I use it. It's not just because they sponsor us. We would never lie. Not for the amount of money they sponsor us for, anyway. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> it's not like a huge deal. If Elon wants to come on, we might consider lying for him. Uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you all for listening. And stick around for a discussion about S-Log. All right. I have someone very interesting on the interview today. Did we manage to... Get him on the call because I don't see him joining. He sent us either. a text with his details. Did you get that? No, no. Oh, I didn't parse it correctly. Ah, gosh darn it, these textuals, non-standard formats. Jonathan, how about you tell me about something that can save me from trying to parse non-standard textual formats? I need, I need something that will save us from, from uh, corny uh, segues. <laughs> Maybe so you gonna... can bring Adelina back on. <laughs> All right. Today we're going to talk about S-Log because it's uh, one of the biggest features uh, added to Go since ever. Um, And of course, one of the biggest features added to Go 1.21. And there's a great blog post about it from the Go team. So if you haven't already read it or aren't already intimately familiar with S-Log, highly recommend you go check out go.dev slash blog slash S-Log. 
It's a nice yeah. little by the confusingly slugger. named Jonathan Amsterdam. No relation. Yeah. No relation. <laughs> Uh, but it's really just an intro to the S-Log package. It talks a little bit about the history of how it was designed, the design process behind it, how it's designed to be performant, and, of course, how to use it at, at a very high level. It doesn't go into a lot of details, just sort of how to consume it. But the TLDR, uh, if, you, if you've been living under a rock uh, for the last six months and haven't been paying attention or haven't ever listened to this show, Go 1.21 added a new package to the center library called Log slash S-Log. The S stands for structured. So this is structured logging. Structured logging, if you're not familiar with that, is the idea of logs that have sort of key value pairs rather than just being a long string of text that has to be parsed, as Shai was talking about in our little segue there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been many packages in Go by third parties to do this. Logris is probably, the, I think, the first popular one. Um, there's Zap. Zap and Zero Log and a whole bunch Go of different kids. Go kids yeah. slash log. Yeah. There's a bunch of different packages that do essentially the same sort of thing, but they all have different APIs and different strengths and weaknesses. Some are more API friendly, some are, you know, like, like a human readable API. Some are more performance oriented that maybe leads to a more cumbersome API. But now we have it in the standard library. I want to talk about the, the motivation, mm-hmm. you know, other than the funny segment. So I want to share a bug that I've experienced specifically with structured logging or perhaps the lack of structured logging. Okay. Yeah, I had an Nginx server in production. Was that the bug? <laughs> yes, and the standard like logging format for things that go into Nginx, like if you don't touch the config, is textual. It's not JSON. What ended up happening is every now and again, and that would drive us absolutely bonkers. The five o three error HTTP error uh, alarm on our system would go up. And in my previous company, we really cared about about uptime. It's a security company. You know, we we really didn't want the system to be down. And we would get these random 503s and we just wouldn't understand why. We would go through the logs. We would go through our traces. We'd go to Datadog. We'd go through everything. And we just couldn't figure out why. And, you know, we looked at the Nginx logs and it did say 503. No problem. If you ever looked at the Nginx logs, you know that they have the HTTP code Mm -hmm. and bytes read. Then bytes written and the alarm went off, like the alert went off on the bytes written. If accidentally the request was 503 bytes, like 503 bytes or the response size, it would raise the alert. And, you know, this is a simple, like the most basic example of this was structured and I knew what field to look for. Mm -hmm. And it was easy for me to parse. Then this bug wouldn't have gone on. And, you know, this woke me up on, on weekends. I started investigating. I'll probably find something, but it, it like I never found the root cause. I'm going to start sending requests to that endpoint with question mark foo equals 503 just to trigger your, your alerts. <laughs> um, we set up a test where we sent a payload the size of uh, 503 uh, once a day to make sure that we didn't have any regressions in the alert. But this is a super classic example, right? The default output is not structured. And then when you have to use it, and that's the point. It's not, it shouldn't be easier to write these logs, but it should be a hell of a lot easier to consume them and actually make useful stuff out of them because they're structured. Yeah, exactly. And if you're using a tool like, uh, like Kibana or any of the common, uh, popular log tools, you can do searches on a particular field very easily. So many, many listeners are already familiar with that. But if you're not, if you're accustomed to grepping server logs, those days need to be in your past. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still grep JSON. You're like you're not losing you want to. any. Yeah, right. By the way, Slug doesn't even enforce JSON. Maybe we should go into yeah. how the package looks and how you can use it. So it's very easy. Import log slash Slog and, you know, go to the blog post that uh, John mentioned and we have in the show notes. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it won't pitch JSON uh, by default, but I assume almost anyone who's going to use this package is going to use the JSON handler, which also comes built in with a package, slog.newJSON handler. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So the, the handlers, right? So the way mm-hmm. this package is designed, it's a two-part system. You have the sort of front end of slog, which is what you use as, a, as somebody producing logs. And then you have a handler, and you can choose an arbitrary handler. There's two by default, the text handler and the JSON handler. And you can create your own. I've created one. Um, and there, we'll talk about some others in, in a moment. So by default, it uses the text handler, which produces output that looks very much like the standard log packages output. And it doesn't really give you the benefits of structured logging, but it is human readable, which is kind of its main benefit. So I think a typical use case would be to use the text output for debugging on your local development machine, but JSON handler for your actual production servers where things go to get ingested into Kibana or whatever. Or if you have you know a package that is used both in CLI context, like uh, on the back end, on the back end, you wanted to output JSON, but usually in the terminal, you, people would prefer to have the you know human readable output because it's uh, human on the other side of the screen. Usually, exactly. So yeah, so this is two parts. You have the sort of front end S log logger, and then you have the back end S log handler, and you can create your own handlers. Now, one thing that's not in the standard library, but is relatively easy to do, is you could create a handler that wraps multiple handlers. And so this is where I want to talk about a third-party package that I've been using. Um, or it's actually a collection of third-party packages. If you go to github.com slash Samber, you need an entry point here. I guess I'll say slog sentry, although he has like almost two dozen different handlers. Maybe a better one to, is the example I'm talking about. Github.com slash Samber slash slog multi, which lets you group multiple handlers uh, in different ways. Uh, a very common way would be, say, you want to create text output to standard output or standard error and json output to send to your uh, log ingester and maybe you also want to do syslog or whatever you could group one or two or three or 25 different handlers into a single handler so that when you call slog.info it goes to all the different appropriate places uh and and uh this package i just mentioned from samber is one of many that ha- uh, he's provided uh, backends for a bunch of different common logging systems gray log Slack, if you want to send your logs to Slack, uh, Mattermost, Microsoft Teams, web, generic webhook one, uh, and some middlewares for common uh, web frameworks, Gin, Echo, Fiber. So there's a nice collection of SLOG handlers and middlewares here, and we'll have a link to that to all of those in the show notes, so you can check those out too. Well, we're not going to have a link to all of those, because well, they're like uh, 20 We'll have of a them. link to one of them, and from there yeah. you can get to all of them. <laughs> the, I think the, the one that's interesting is... Uh... First of all, the one that's funny, the one that's just objectively hilarious that's there is S-Log Parquet. Just immediately putting your logs into like data format, you know, object storage that you know only analytics things are going to read. Um, <laughs> but the the way it's set up is pretty interesting is because, you know, of this really elegant design, this like two-part epoxy glue of there's the interface and there's the handlers. It enabled people like Samber here to set up Pretty complicated design workflows with uh, with logging stuff that you actually need uh, mm-hmm. fan out pipelining routing them failovers and even load balancing if you want to you know save on bandwidth or like manage the bandwidth I guess yeah so you can use all these backends through like an entry point he's calling slog multi which you know you set up let's say a JSON handler and a text handler you can set them up in a fan out like architecture using slog multi so. It feels like it's a complete package already. You can do anything you want. And this is a super new addition to the Sand library. Um, People have been really like hungry for it, I guess. If you already have a Microsoft Teams S-Log handler set up. (laughs) Uh, So nice work, Samber. 
So I think it's worth talking a little bit about why bother with this, considering that we already had packages like Zap and ZeroLog and Logris and all these other ones. Um, and the blog post we mentioned does talk about that a little bit. And one of the strongest arguments for this is to come up with a standard. And I think that's really important. Uh, it's not that these other ones were bad or didn't do their job correctly. But when you have competing standards like this, it's really hard to write a third-party package that can accept a meaningful logger. So you had a lot of packages that would just take a their own logger interface that maybe just does something really simple. And then it's up to you to interface that with your logger implementation. Hopefully now we'll start to see uh, better support because now any third-party package that needs a logger of some sort can just accept an slog.logger and it will just work. It'll use the right log levels and so on. Do you think the third-party libraries will in you know future releases conform to this new interface as well? Like you'll have uh, stdlib conformant let's say Logris interface or or GoKit Logger, because I feel like they've been really entrenched. You know, at least my experience with GoKit is they they worked so hard on their interface, even though it's really simple. It took a while to whittle it down to perfection. I'm glad you asked, because I actually just this morning filed an issue with Logris, which is a a library I've used uh, frequently, and I've I've actually committed a few changes to them. So I just submitted an issue asking for this capability and offering to write it, because I've actually had to write it for a client that I'm working on right now that has been using Logris very poorly, which is uh, one other point I want to talk about. Why would I bother switching? if I'm already using Logris. And the answer in this case is because it was done so poorly in the first place, it needs to be redone anyway. So I might as well redo it with uh, S-Log. Just to clarify, you mean the first time you used Logs, you did it incorrectly, not that Logris is bad, right? Right, right. And not that I did it, but I inherited this code base and it was just the, the logging is of done course, terribly. Of course, Jonathan. Yeah. I never Any code you like touch that. is golden. Exactly, exactly. But I think that's a valid point. You know, if you have an application that's already using Logos or Zap or ZeroLog and it's working, you probably don't need to make this change. I mean, that, that's a really intrusive change to your code base just to be standards compliant. I wouldn't suggest doing that. Instead, I would suggest using a, a compatibility shim so that ZeroLog or whatever can interface with third-party libraries that use S-Log in the future. Yeah, one interesting feature uh, with S-Log that we'll mention just in, in brief is that there's a proposal to... S-log tests. So there is already like testing slash S-log test, right? If I need to test like my handlers, more correctly, if I want to add a test handler, I can use this package. This does have an open proposal right now for supporting subtests. And it seems like a likely accept from uh, two days ago. So this is the final comment period. You can go look at it and say, you know, to make sure that the new handler and tskip and like all these run with options and all these things work nicely together. But it's an interesting question always, testing and logging in general. It's always an inflammatory, you know, when when you're super young, you're either not testing at all or you're testing everything, like you're too much or too little. And one thing that I found really useful in tests is, yes, adding logging to tests, but not testing the output of the logger. When you have structured logging, you can test for you know the fields that you know will always be there and just to make sure that these ones are correct or even just output only if the test fails output the logger info so it'll be easier to trace and understand what happened and why the test failed so there are a few like good use cases for logging with testing and it's good to see that we didn't just like release it out the door now we're done looks like people are working on the second order effects of you know this new package as well is there anything else that you think we should talk about with regard to s-log or have we covered the, the important bits i think the most important thing is just to really encourage you you know even if you're not going to replace your entire logging in all your projects from the beginning of time to s-log to try it out in your next project you will want to use it 
in the next GoFile you open, you might consider using it. So I guess it's not something worth discussing, more like a call to action. I know at least for myself, for my to-do, next time I'm writing Go, I'm going to do S-Log and not like my logger or any of the third libraries because now that it's landed and it's released, it's going to be good to know it as, you know, it's good to know IO or it's good to know tests or it's good to know like any STD Go feature. It's going to come out like useful. And, you know, after being burned myself with uh, structured logging, you don't have to do the same mistake and jump on uh, 503s just because that's the number of bytes written. God damn it, Nginx. Awesome. Cool. We'll be back in your ears next week. Yep. Thanks a ton for listening. It's super fun to come back. I miss you, Jonathan. Yeah, me too. See you next week. Bye. See you next week, everyone.